called member, part of the body of Christ. And so that's what we've been studying. What is the church? And today, you'll see up above me, behind me, uh, we're looking at that answer, the body united in attitude, united in attitude. And so we're going to look at some attitudes that are uh, are necessary um, that the church necessitates in our lives as we try to do what verse 3 said. And we studied this passage. We're not going to rever- uh, review a ton of it, and, uh, but the focal point of our study here in this passage has been verse number 3. Ephesians 4.3, look with me there if you will. Notice it. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And what we immediately took away from that and we learned as believers, as members of the local church, is that we are not called upon to create unity. It's not our job, not our responsibility to produce unity. In fact, it's beyond our capabilities. We have a great inability to create unity. But rather, our instruction from our Heavenly Father is to keep the unity that is already present. How is it present? Well, when you and I were born into the family of God at salvation, at regeneration, we immediately came into shared possession or connection to several things. That's where we looked at last time, too. Notice the verse number four. Here are the things that we have in common, the things we share, the things that produce unity within the church among believers. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You might notice the reoccurring statement of one, one, one. It is speaking of what you and I are unified in and by. We came to this simple conclusion, and we'll end our review this way. We came to this conclusion the last week or two weeks ago when we studied this. It's this thought. These elements, these shared producers of unity, are so much bigger than anything we can point to that separates us or brings division or causes schism. These are the things that, that we uh, look at and say, wow, we have so much in common. So it, it, that is the unity that's produced so that we don't have to worry about what separates us, what uh, those differences, the things that we might look at and, and cause conflict and cause uh, issues or problems. These things are so much greater. Now notice it. We come now to our final part in this passage. So how do you and I as believers, as members of a local church, how do we maintain this unity that God has already afforded us, that he has already presented to us, that he has already created and established in the local church? Well, look in verse 3. Do you see how the command to maintain unity is couched? In other words, how is it presented? Well, it says this. We are to keep it in the what? The bond of peace. The bond of peace. I can't help it every time I read that word bond the last few weeks as we've been studying. All I can think of is Gorilla Glue. The promise to bond it like nothing else. Nothing can separate it and super, I mean, whatever your brand of super glue is. That's what I think of. This is the bond of peace. You maintain the unity that God has established through the bond of peace. We've already seen it. Jesus Christ preached in the Gospels that you and I ought to be peacemakers. And when we are, what does it say? Blessed are the peacemakers. And it goes well beyond personal blessing. You see, when you are a peacemaker, you're blessed. But when you're a peacemaker, your family's blessed. When you're a peacemaker, your marriage is blessed. 
When you're a peacemaker, your place of work is blessed. When you're a peacemaker, your church is blessed. You affect that. This attitude of being a peacemaker, this desire to say, hey, I'm going to have a bond of peace with folks. I'm going to make sure that we keep unity and maintain unity because I'm going to be a peace promoter. I'm going to be a person who, who pursues after peace. Can I ask you this? This past week, every place that this, that this week found you, were you a peacemaker or were you the opposite, a peacebreaker? What did you function as this week? Did you bring explosions? And uh, were, were you the one who brought discord and schism? Were you the one who, who caused there to be a lack of peace? Or were you the person that you had an attitude that produced and brought peace? Attitude with your actions. Maybe with your reactions. Maybe simply with your words. Oh, words are powerful. They can establish peace and they can steal peace. They can promote peace or they can destroy peace. Your actions, your words, your attitudes, everything you do. Were you a peacemaker or peacebreaker? What determines it? Well, your attitude does. Your attitude going in, your attitude at home, your attitude at church, your, your attitude at the workplace. It's not your own strength or ability that determines whether you are a peacemaker or peacebreaker. See, if you were a peacemaker this week in different places, you didn't do it in your own strength and abilities. A truth, a peacemaker is one who is yielded to the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit in that Christian to produce his fruit. And we know that what one of the main fruits of the Spirit is peace, love, joy, and peace. So if you're yielding to the Holy Spirit, that is where, and you have an attitude of, boy, I'm going to yield to the Spirit and I'm going to produce peace. My goodness, my friend, you can be a peacemaker. And the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. So everywhere you go will be blessed because of your attitude. Hey, Christian, don't you want your marriage to be blessed this morning? Don't you want your home to be blessed? Don't you want your workplace to be blessed, your church to be blessed? Be a peacemaker. Have an attitude that is yielding to the Holy Spirit. But in a sense, as we look at the passage, I've gotten ahead of myself just a little bit. Let's look at verse number one. So we kind of go back, but we'll see another attitude. Verse number one, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. So what we're going to see here is this. There's a general attitude conveyed by the verse. What is it? Well, first in verse three, there's the attitude of being a peacemaker. Number two, in verse one, we see this simple truth. There is an attitude of of obedience i'm going to walk worthy of the calling that god has put on my life as a child of god i will obey obedience is needed to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace that makes sense doesn't it as we've already studied in this passage it's natural to think well obedience has to be here verse number five what did we refer to him as one lord we have one lord And a Lord has uh, those who obey him. Paul says other places that he is a slave, a doulos. He he calls himself in verse 1, he is a prisoner of the Lord. And what does a servant do? A servant obeys his master. What his master says, he does. What his Lord commands, a servant obeys. And so you and I as Christians, why do we obey? Well, we do it because it's right, and we do it because it glorifies God. So if God says it, that settles it, and we do it. 
One of the hallmarks of uh, the Baptist, one of the hallmarks of Fostoria Baptist Church is what we say in the acronym Baptist, the B stands for, it's that stands for Bible, the sole authority for faith and practice. What are we saying by that? We're saying that God is Lord. What he says in his word, we obey. We do. We follow it. That's, that's what we are uh, saying by that. That is biblical. You realize that God in heaven has as a goal for his church that they be an obedient people. It's no different than you and I as parents, as grandparents. Had a conversation last night. We were talking about children. We were talking about grandchildren. How trying to uh, correct them, train them, discipline them. What do we have a desire for our children or grandchildren? That they would be obedient children. Can I tell you, my friend? God in heaven has the very same desire for you and I. That we would have attitude of obedience. And you know what an attitude of obedience does? When it is shared, I'll tell you what it does. In my family, when all of my children, okay, and even Ryan possibly, but when all of my children have an attitude of obedience, you know what it brings to our family? Peace. It brings unity. But boy, you know it as a parent. When you're correcting this one and you're correcting this one, and as you get done correcting that one, this one's acting up, and whoo, they don't feel very peaceful. If you don't know what that feels like, we'll be glad to let you babysit anytime, any place, anywhere, for any length of time. Okay, anyway, uh, <laughs> you get them all obeying. It's peaceful. It's great. It's fantastic. But boy, you get one that doesn't obey, woo, it can mess up it for everyone. Yeah, you ever say this to your kids? Well, we were going to do this, but so-and-so didn't obey, or you didn't obey, and so that ruined it for everyone. Can I tell you what happens in church? When there's a Christian who doesn't have an attitude of obedience, it can mess it up for everybody. We know that the old adage is very true. A chain is only as strong as its weakest. We know that. God's family is the same way. Your, Your physical family is the same way. So God desires his children to be children of obedience. That's why at Fostoria Baptist Church, what do we do? Well, the focal of every service, the focus point of every service is not entertaining you. It's not getting people up here to act and entertain. No, my friend, the focal point of the services of Fostoria Baptist Church, listen to me, is to preach the word of God. And we do that because that is crucial to our obedience as children of God. We must know God's word so that we can in turn obey God's word. And as we share such an attitude, oh, my friend, the peace and the unity that will flow strengthens the unity. It produces peace. That's God's plan. That's his desire. God speaks. We obey. And all things work together for our good and his glory. God desired that same thing for the nation of Israel. They couldn't handle it. They didn't follow it. They weren't having an attitude of obedience, and things fell apart. And so it is true today. God desires it for every New Testament church. But there are some churches, some Christians who can't handle it, who don't have an attitude of obedience, and so things fall apart. Why? Because this simple truth. Peace eludes us when obedience is not a high priority. Peace eludes us. And peace, the attitude of peace, is necessary for maintaining the unity that God has provided. And so when we don't have peace, or excuse me, when we don't have obedience, peace eludes us. 
Obedience is crucial and necessary. Again, when we treat the Word, I've, I've said this many times before, and I hope you, you have it. You might be able to explain it better than I now. But if we treat the truth of God's Word, if we treat His instructions found within the Bible that He wants every believer to follow and obey, if we treat that like a dinner buffet, buffet Christianity as I like to call it, if we simply look at the God's Word and the things we are called to obey, and we take what we want, we leave what doesn't appeal to us, what doesn't sound good to us, then we make it very hard to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, many of us are good. We can look at a refrigerator full of food, and we're like, nothing sounds good to me. You can list, you can go along and you can list uh, umpteen different restaurants when you're trying to find a place to eat. Well, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't appeal to me. That doesn't sound good. What if we treat Christianity like that? It's more importantly, obedience to God. The instructions of God's word that sound good to me, that appeal, I'll follow those. But those that don't, I'm just going to leave them. You know what it leads to? A lack of peace. Lack of unity. Let's break it down a little bit more. If an individual believer, let's say a believer here today, an individual believer leaves off obeying God, do you think that within that believer's life and heart, he will experience unity with the Spirit that indwells him? If I, as a believer, don't obey God, do you think that me and the Holy Spirit inside of me are going to get along? (laughs) No way. What if... Or should I put it this way? Do you think that there is going to be a bond of peace that permeates my life? Do you think I'll be a very peaceful person if I don't obey and I don't have unity with the Holy Spirit that indwells me? No way. His life will be marked with constant conflict with the Holy Spirit. A seared conscience and kicking against the pricks of conviction that come. Now, you take that same Christian. He has no peace. He has no unity with the Spirit inside of him and that indwells him because he has no obedience. You take that same Christian and you introduce him to the local church. You bring him in within the local church, a part of the family of God. And when he meets together, what influence or impact will he have on the family? Because if he's not obeying God's Word, he has no peace. And he has no unity with the Spirit. And he or she, you introduce them to the body of Christ, what's that influence going to be? Let me give you a little scenario. Let's say you're having a family get-together. You're having a reunion. July 4th's coming up. Memorial Weekend's coming up. Let's say you're getting together as a family. Extended family. Everybody's getting together. And there's this one couple. Let's just say it's an aunt and an uncle. And the whole morning before you get together, they are having a drop-down, knockout kind of fight and argument, man. They are arguing over something, whatever it is, the color of their carpet. Let's just put it this way. They're buying carpet they're arguing over that and they're just having a fight left and right and they come to your family get together and the moment they arrive they're slamming the doors and they're coming in what does that do to your family get together that is a wonderful spirit to introduce isn't it to antonio i need you to be quiet please okay thank you um what does that do what does it introduce to to that that spirit of the whole get together well think about it you've seen it i'm sure Maybe you've observed it. Hopefully it wasn't you. 
she's just oh, worked up. She's ad- agitated. She comes in to where the other ladies are, and she's just oh, worked up. The, the husband goes out to the other guy. He's real quiet. They're like, what's wrong? What's going on? We saw you guys slamming the doors. We saw her stomping in, slamming every door on her way in. And all of a sudden, what she's doing, she's telling every friend and every other aunt and every other uh, family member that's a lady, she's telling them all that's going wrong, how bad the morning was. I don't know how we're going to survive and everything else. He's out there, and he's just singing his woes between sips of Dr. Pepper. And he's just things are, oh, this is terrible. And, and what does it do? Well, hey, if you ever get them in the same room, you can just fill the chair. The degrees of the, the temperature goes down by about 10 degrees. And boy, it just, it, it affects everything. In fact, people start planning their means of escape. How quick they can escape the family get-together. Why? Because you took somebody, a couple with a bad relationship, and you've introduced them now to the family, extended, and it has affected the whole thing. If that's not the case, then the sense of uh, people knowing about, everybody's just kind of walking on eggshells. Don't ask them how they're doing. Don't bring that up. Don't ask them how their morning was. Why? Well, it influences and impacts everything. Hey, can I challenge you this morning? Can you see this morning that as a believer, if I am not obedient in my life, if I don't have an attitude of obedience towards God's Word, then I will not have peace, and I will not have unity with the Spirit within me, and then I come to the local church, and I will not be able to maintain the unity that's here. I will not be able to do my part to keep it going. We put it this way, the afflicted relationship, one lacking unity in the moment and certainly not experiencing peace, will affect the whole family. So don't tell me this morning, you not being obedient to God this week doesn't affect anyone besides you. If you've lived after your flesh this week, if you are in conflict with the Spirit this morning because of your disobedience, even this moment, maybe there's a Christian here and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. He's saying, listen, you didn't obey this week. You didn't do what was right. You didn't follow my instructions when I came and knocked on your heart about that. You didn't obey. You didn't heed it. And even now, the wrestling match is going on. Even now, there's no peace in that heart, in that life. My friend, you will affect this church. Your wrong attitude will negatively affect us in God's family. And when we talk about obedience, we're not talking about simple ritual. Ritual never replaces obedience. We're simply talking about you and I taking what God says and making careful, practical, personal application. We're talking about being uh, confronted with the conviction of God's word and applying it. Hey, notice what he says best. Luke chapter 11, verse 28. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. This kind of attitude of obedience leads to what must happen in the local church. Notice it with me. Notice this thought. Here's what needs to happen in the local church. The fundamental unity found in our common connection to God, and note this, His rule in our lives through obedience must win the day. When we say that He is one Lord, what we're saying is this, His, his rule in my life as seen in my obedience to what He says, His Word, that must win the day. Why is that so important? Well, notice this. We have studied here at Fostoria Baptist Church the millennial kingdom that's coming in the end times, what it will be like when Jesus sets up his kingdom here on earth and all will bow the knee to him as Lord. 
What's the headquarters of his kingdom going to be? Well, that's going to be Jerusalem. Now think of it. We hear a lot of Jerusalem in in, in the news today. We hear of the turmoil and the conflict. One day, peace is going to reign there in Jerusalem like it never has before. So we have to take note of this truth. Notice it, God's rule in the life of every believer produces unity among the greatest differences that we could name. So when God rules and His rule is is seen and illustrated by our obedience to what His Word says, when, when He rules and reigns, He produces unity and peace among the greatest diversities that could ever be found. His kingdom takes the potential for conflict and friction, and replaces it with an amazing unity and peace, that bond of peace. Hey, what is it in the millennial kingdom that is pictured as the, uh, here, here is the picture-perfect example of peace? Well, we have a lion and a lamb laying next to each other. And the lamb doesn't eat the lion. No, that's the other way around. The lion doesn't eat the lamb, right? I like the other picture. We saw it on Isaiah, that children can be playing near on the home of snakes, and the snakes won't rise up and bite them. Now, I'll tell you, that's going to be a hard one for me to play anywhere near snakes. But that's the picture of peace. The lion and the lamb are going to get together. A a snake and children will play together, and nothing's going to hurt each other. The kid won't stomp on the snake, and the snake won't bite the kid. That's the picture. You say, well, that's, that's crazy. Hey, can I tell you, when God rules, that's the type of peace he brings. That's the type of unity. When God is kingdom and everybody says, you are Lord and we will obey you, my friend, that's the type of peace and unity we find. Now listen to me. That is exactly the type of peace and unity that God wants in the local church. Did you catch that, Christian? We're not just talking about millennial kingdom. We're talking about now a group of believers who have claimed Jesus Christ as Lord. And so we're saying, okay, I'm going to obey him. And as we have an attitude of obedience, an attitude of a peacemaker, then it produces a peace and unity that is literally something this world has never seen. We look at Jerusalem today. We say, how in the world is that going to have peace? I'll tell you how it's going to have peace. God will rule the day. Every knee shall bow, and everybody will obey him. And boy, when Jesus Christ reigns and rules, you're going to have peace and unity that is beyond what we think is possible. You see, God wants to rule in our lives. He wants us to obey him so that we can experience the perfect peace, so that our unity is as strong as ever and maintained at a high level. Why? For his glory. And here in the church is where he wants it to occur. But sad to say, many, listen to me, many churches are more like Jerusalem today than they are like Jerusalem of the millennial kingdom. There's as much turmoil and conflict and schisms in in the church. There's as much fighting and unkindness in the church as there is in the city of Jerusalem today. But what if every believer here at Fostoria Baptist Church purpose to have an attitude of obedience and making God truly Lord of their life, which Jerusalem would Fostoria Baptist Church picture? Well, I would say it'd be the beautiful one of peace that is to come. 
And so we understand, okay, if we're going to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace here at Fostoria Baptist Church and any church that you're a member of, I have to have an attitude of being a peacemaker. I have to have an attitude of obedience. Now look at verse number 2. Let's see a second attitude. He says this, with all lowliness and meekness. Let's stop there a moment. With all loneliness and meekness. The next one we see here is an attitude of what? Humility. Humility. This description of lowliness, of meekness. True humility is an ongoing pursuit, isn't it? When you think you've arrived at perfect humility, you boast about it and it's gone. You lost it. (laughs) Humility is hard to, to, to gain and maintain. But that's the challenge, isn't it? We're supposed to pursue it. The ever present pride is there and likes to come back to roost. Here, humility is presented with this thought. Notice it. It is a lowliness in thinking of myself while thinking highly of others. So if I'm going to maintain unity in my family, if I'm going to maintain unity in my marriage, if I'm going to maintain unity in the local church, I have to have a lowliness of mind, a lowliness of thinking of myself and thinking highly of someone else. This is not to say, now listen to me, this is not to say that we walk around belittling ourselves. It is not to say that every church member ought to walk around saying, I'm garbage. I'm a bum. I'm not worth anything. Hey, self-deprecating speech is not humility. There are some people who try to feign humility, and all they do is put themselves down. That's not humility. Humility is just saying, listen, in fact, let me put it this way. Humility says we are all valuable in God's eyes. All of us. But I'm going to esteem you better than me, and I'm going to treat you more important than me. That's what humility says. It doesn't run myself into the ground. No, it says this. God has shown me what true humility is, and so I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to value you as God values you, and I'm going to make you more important than even me. Paul spoke of this lowliness attitude that we are called to display. He spoke of it in Philippians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So just turn to the right, one, well, a couple of pages. We'll look at Philippians chapter 2. Notice verse number 3 with me, if you will. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3. Christ here is presented to us. In fact, the mind of Christ. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He is describing Christ's own humble attitude of sacrificially coming to earth for us. And so Christ is the best example that we have. Notice verse 2. Let nothing be done. Verse 3, excuse me. Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, he goes to explain on it, let each esteem each other or esteem other better than themselves. Now he expounds upon what that looks like. Look down at verse number 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Literally speaking, verse number four says, you put your, their needs before mine own. So I'm putting your needs ahead of my own. I'm subjecting my needs and my desires under yours. That's looking on the things of others. That's having this lowliness of mind. And I'll tell you, my friend, it is crucial to the unity of the church. It is crucial. If you do not have the attitude of saying, okay, I, I need to be humble in my interactions one with another. My friend, it is crucial to a marriage. It's crucial in a family dynamic. It is crucial in the local church. When it's not present in the church, what happens? Well, you can get a bunch of people fighting 
each other with little peace. All wanting to have the authority. All wanting to have the preeminence. And my friend, that never works out. So why, why does it happen in a church? You think about it, it happened in the group of disciples that were with Jesus Christ for three on years. What were they sometimes having discussions of? Listen, what were they having discussions of? Who was going to be the greatest? Now that's some spiritual conversations, isn't it? What if tomorrow morning I call Brother Aaron and Brother Tony and I say, guys, let's talk about who's the greatest. You say, well, that isn't a very spiritual staff meeting. No, it's not. But humility doesn't allow for that. A humility, I mean, we could get in round five. Oh, Brother Aaron said, listen, I, I led all that whole choir, and I led the orchestra, I led the music. I'm pretty special. Brother Tony said, listen, I'm working with the teens. Boy, I was even ushered yesterday. Pastor, all you do is get up there and gab your mouth. That's not very important. Clearly, I'm the greatest. And boy, we'd go round and round, and we could talk, and we could argue about who is the greatest. Where's the humility? It, it, all it does is causes chaos. Even among the men following Jesus Christ, it caused problems. Why? Because humility, that, that wasn't their attitude at times. So boy, if we want our church to be all it can be, if we want to bring God, glory to God, we want to maintain the unity. How do we maintain the unity? We have an attitude of humility. Coupled with an attitude of obedience. Coupled with an attitude of a being a peacemaker. Can I tell you, uh, those attitudes of competing, of fighting for preeminence, it causes chaos, not peace, and it doesn't maintain unity. And this idea of u- humility also pushes us to face, face-to-face an unavoidable truth. Now get this. Hey, Christian, would you get this, please? Because sometimes we fail to apply it in this way, but it's so very true. When God tells us to love our neighbor... Loving our neighbor as yourself is not to start with people living across your street, a total stranger or a coworker. Loving your neighbor as yourself is supposed to start in the house of God. Let me say that again. Loving your neighbor is supposed to start here in the house of God. It is. See, way too often we take this and what do we do? We secularize this command of God's word. We secularize. We make it only applying to the world at large. My neighbor across the street, my coworker, this person here. Well, I guess that person got pulled out in front of me. I need to love him as my neighbor as myself. I just got to let him go. I let it go. I just go, okay. No, my friend, you know where you need to perfect loving your neighbor as yourself? Here in God's house, in the family of God. Loving your fellow member as yourself. It's so crucial. Why? Because this command teaches us that the same devotion and commitment we employ in meeting our own needs, we employ that same dedication and commitment to meeting the needs of my fellow church member. Humility in the church means this. I'm not going to get upset that something went your way and not mine because I am preferring you before me. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. How does that play out? In honor, preferring one another. Literally deferring to one another. We prefer. Again, you're more important than me. Can I ask you, when it comes to interacting here at church with fellow members, do you have this attitude of humility? Is it on display in your life as you fellowship one with another? 
It's a big order. I know that. I understand that. And yet God has commanded it. Because this attitude will help us maintain the unity and strengthen the bond of peace that's in his church. So we see it. And I'm going to add one final attitude in just these few moments we have left. We have the attitude of being a peacemaker. We have the attitude of obedience from this passage. He says, endeavoring to keep the the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, you have to have these attitudes in the local church as a believer. And then the attitude of humility. And this last one here, this is my favorite. I, I think it's one that is first to go in a church. It's first to go in a family, in a marriage. It's the greatest indicator that I have stopped working at maintaining the unity. You want to know if in your marriage that you or your spouse has stopped working at maintaining the unity that's there? This is a good indicator. You want to know if a fellow church member has given up? They've left the church in their heart already? They stop doing this. They let go of having this attitude. You say, what in the world is it? Look at verse number two. Notice the rest of the verse. Back here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. We said already, um, with all lowliness and meekness, now notice that these things go together. With long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. There it is. You know what the attitude is? It is encapsulated by this statement, forbearing one another in love. It's repeated twice, literally, in this thing. It's long-suffering. It's forbearing. They mean literally the same thing. So here he is, Paul, saying, listen, you want to maintain unity, you forbear one another in love. What does that mean? Let me give you an illustration. Have you ever witnessed a parent uh, or a grandparent who allows his child or his grandchild to do something to him that seems annoying or painful? They just put up with it. There'll be times that, that my boys and I are wrestling and they'll jump on me and, and Kate and boy, he just likes just running across the and just jumping knees first on my, my chest or my back or something like that. And, and boy, they'll do some things to me. And, and sometimes Eric will sit back and says, why in the world do you let them do that to you? Why in the world would you let them do that to you? And what's the obvious answer? Well, the obvious answer is is simple. We know it. I bear it. I suffer it because I love my boys like no one does. See, the fact is this. I will put up with them doing something to me in a way that I wouldn't let anyone else get away with. Why? Because they are my sons. They hold a special place in my heart that no one that isn't my child can hold. See, there are things my children can do to me that Brother Aaron can't do to me. I won't let him. They can get away with it. They can do something to me. Ah, Pastor Aaron, he's not there yet, okay? Why? Because they hold a special place in my heart. There, there, There is something about that love of a father to a son that I'll put up with some things from them. I'll suffer them, you know, hitting me or gouging my eye or whatever it is as we're wrestling and, and they're doing something to me. I'll put up with that. Why? Because they hold a special place. That's literally what Paul is saying here. Don't miss it. This word, these words, this is what he's saying. It literally means to suffer willingly, to put up with. To put up with. That's a great thought. It is this attitude. And boy, if you write down anything, this might be a great one to write down uh, in your Bible somewhere. I know I throw a lot at you, but man, it is an attitude that you can do almost anything to me. And I will not let it bother me, embitter me, or cause me to retaliate in an unloving manner. And isn't that a good statement? 
When I forbear someone else, when I, when I suffer willingly, when I put up with something, this is my attitude. You can do almost anything to me, and I will not let it bother me, embitter me, or move me, cause me to retaliate in an unloving manner. That's forbearing one another, as the rest of the part goes, in love. Now listen to me. Those of you who know Christian Garcia, just here, he went out to an internship in Arizona. One of Christian's favorite statements is this. What could possibly go? Wow, man, he's a little bit more popular than I. I figured, okay. What could possibly go wrong? That's what Christian says. He'll say that. He says that to me all the time. We see him and, and we're talking on the phone. And What could possibly go wrong? Now listen to me. In a church this size with this many believers... If we don't forbear one another, what could possibly go wrong? A whole lot. I'll tell you that. Chaos could rule supreme. There could be hurt feelings over here. There could be offended people over here. There could be people with cold shoulders over here. There could be people over here that will never talk to that person. There could be this person over here that doesn't let that go, that keeps this, that's bitter. All these things are possible. So what could possibly go wrong if we don't have the attitude of forbearance and love? A whole lot. And the greatest thing that Satan wants is for you and I to be ineffective of sharing Jesus Christ with the world. If we're so caught up with issues and problems here, let me just share with you. I just made a little list of some things that could get under our skin and steal our unity. Uh Uh-oh. Pastor Henry, if you haven't stepped on toes, this may do it. Notice it. What could go wrong? What could get under my skin? At church, how that person looked at me. That member taking my pew. The one instance where that person ignored me when he didn't shake my hand. He shook everyone else's in the pew, but not mine. The time when I was left off the special schedule. Brother Aaron, I'm not going to let you live that down. How about that time? (laughs) That time when the preacher preached too long, like today. That time that preacher spoke too fast. That time that song leader didn't give out the hymn number. Oh, that one Sunday when that person took my parking spot. Oh. How about that person making fun of something I like? How about just simply how that person laughs? That gets under my skin. Hey, how about how that person sings? How about that same person that asks me the same question every Sunday? How about that person that never smiles at you? How about that person that still doesn't know your name? Doesn't know that you're not a visitor. You've been coming here for two years. Man, that bugs me. Man, that gets under my skin. How about this? My child never gets picked for anything. And the list could go on and on. Can I tell you this? Listen to me. Listen carefully, church. When our skin is thin, any one of these things can easily get under it. It can steal our unity and eventually take away our peace. And it will harm the church. 
You know what you do when you get easily offended, when you have thin skin, when you don't forbear, when you don't put up with things because you know what? I'm part of the church. They're a church family. and Some things are going to happen. I'm going to be disappointed and somebody's going to let me down. They may not treat me right. If I have thin skin and I let that bother me, you know what you've just done? You've just let Satan get a foothold in this church. You have. I have. If we do not forbear one another in love, But can I tell you, you know what thickens your skin so that nothing bothers you? So that what we just said, this attitude where you don't become embittered, you don't let it bother you, you don't let it cause you to retaliate in an unloving way. You know what thickens the skin of a Christian? It's love. Not just any old type of love. This in the Greek is agape love sacrificial love shown to us by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross of Calvary when we didn't deserve it. In fact, we deserved hell, but he purchased heaven for every one of us. If we will but have faith in him. So forbearing one another, if I have agape love for you, you have agape love for me, it's going to be very hard to offend you. It's going to be very hard for me to do something, for you to do something to me that embitters me, that bothers me, that causes me to retaliate in an unloving manner. Now listen to me. I have grown up in church, and this is the seldom seen church, unfortunately. Sadly, this is not practiced as well as it needs to be. We get offended way too easily. Our skin is way too thin. And we do a good job of inviting the devil into churches and letting him have a foothold. When God looks at you and I says, listen, I've loved you with agape love. You should be able to turn around and show agape love one to another. It is an attitude in a local church. When we choose to engage in this kind of love, In this place, towards the fellow members here at Fostoria Baptist Church, I'm telling you, you'll be able to put up with just about anything. You know what you'll be known as? Listen to me. You'll be known as being gracious. May I be transparent to you? There have been times in my life when in the ministry, I've had to put up with things. I'd have to suffer suffer things that seem so hard to accept, that seem unfair, that seem overwhelming. And I've had people come up to me and say something to this effect. How have you been able to be gracious through all of this? How did you put up with that? And there's but one answer. You suffer long and you bear it in love. And you do it Because your Lord and Savior has already showed you what agape love is. He's already put up with a whole lot in me. My God has suffered through 43 years of probably often disappointments. But my God still shows me agape love. And I'll tell you, my friend, you can do a whole lot of things to me, and I trust I could do a whole lot of things to you, but the fact is love covers a multitude of sins. I I can forbear a lot in love. Can you? Can you be gracious? Because you know what Fostoria Baptist Church needs? It needs a bunch of members that are gracious. Forbear one another in love. Not easily offended, not easily embittered, not, not easily bothered, not, not retaliate and unloving action, words, or deed. But you'll put up with it. Can I tell you this? When this is our attitude in the local church, the unity will be so thick and strong around here that Satan will be discouraged over his inability to weaken the church. Don't you want that, Christian? I do.
I, I, want, I want Satan to come here. I'm like, man, I can't get a foothold. I can't get in that place. There's not one Christian's life that I can grant, grant, find any space to, that, to bring up a little bitterness, a little anger, a little offense. I, I, I can't find anywhere to, where I can just get in and, and uh, minimize the power and the effectiveness of Fostoria Baptist Church. Boy, do I want that. If that's the case... You know what happens? In this place, God will get sustained glory. God will get boatloads of glory from all that we do here. But you know what it is? It's dependent upon our attitudes. You want to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? I'll tell you, number one, you have to be a peacemaker. Are you a peacemaker or are you a peacebreaker? Do you pursue peace or do you prevent it from being in this place? Hey, number two, are you constantly looking to obey your Lord? Your obedience is crucially linked to Fostoria Baptist Church's unity. You are not an island to yourself. If you're off living after the world this past week, you affect Fostoria Baptist Church negatively. You are part of our family, and you're affecting us. So are you constantly looking to obey your Lord? Number three, are you humble in your dealings with others here? Simply put, are you loving them as your neighbor? Are you esteeming them better than yourself? Then last but not least, and let me, let's hammer this home. Let's be open this morning. Do you forbear others in love? This moment, at this time, is there something under your skin? You got something there? Or are you one who has thickened your skin with love? May I say this morning as we go to prayer, there, there's some of us who need to simply say, okay, Father, I, I've been harboring this. It's been under my skin and I've let it bother me. You know what? I'm going to forbear one another in love. Some need to say this, Father, I, I have not been an obedient child, but I want to be. I want to have an attitude of obedience. Maybe you're here, you say, you know, I, I have not been creating peace. Honestly, I've been breaking some peace. Maybe you're here and you say simply this, Father, I need more agape love. In my dealings one with another, maybe my husband, my wife, maybe my family, maybe especially my church, I need to forbear one another in love. Have humility that loves them even as I love myself. Hey, Christian, where you at? Fostoria Baptist Church will only be as strong and united as our attitudes. How are they today?